With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. WBZ. Rob Brooks, you in the house? Okay, good. We're good to go. If Rob's here, we know everything's okay. I'm Bradley J. You're J talking. We're live midnight to five. Hope everybody's okay. We have in we have with us uh, Brian Coleman, who's been on the program two times before. Once on actually once he came in to talk about his book on hip hop and history of. And once he came in with David Bieber, cultural archivist, is that what we would call David? Yes, that's one of the many things you could call him. And I guess we would call you that as well. Uh, yes, on a lower level, sure. Well, I don't know. Not <laughs> I, can't com- I cannot hold a candle to Monsieur Bieber. Qualitatively equal, quantitatively different, maybe, but still. Yes. You have put together this cultural archive book called Buy Me Boston, and we had you in to talk about that. Yep. But there have been extrapolations. There have been extensions. There's been media platform differences. (laughs) So what we'll do is start and go over the book again. Yep. And you actually brought in some sources of the book. And folks, we like to keep it local, and we like to keep it relevant. And these are all things you're going to remember, some of the sources. You'll, You'll see what I'm talking about. Now, the book, Buy Me Boston, is what? Buy Me Boston is, I guess I would call it a, a guided stream of consciousness tour through, uh, if you were here in the 60s, 70s, and or 80s in Boston or even on the outskirts, uh, it, it's kind of a, it's going to bring you back to a lot of stuff you remember. Um, there Some are, stuff you don't remember, well, it, you, it will remind you. That's true. And then some things you may not have been exposed to and paid attention to that you might be like, oh, that sounds really kind of interesting. I'm sorry I missed that. So um, there's certain, I didn't want to make it all, uh, I always like to make things a little bit challenging. So there is, there are ads for legal seafoods and Fenway Franks and the Hilltop Steakhouse and, and all the obvious kind of um, places that us uh, some are still around. I think that for me, what's I think interesting is um, the places that are gone that we miss, but also hopefully appreciating the places that are still here and how difficult it is uh, to still be here after decades and decades. Um, I'm so glad you put this out. Folks, if you lived in Boston and you went out in Boston in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you will love this book. 
Local ads and flyers, 60s through 80s. Oh, yeah, not 90s. Volume 1. So you knew at the time there were going to be more volume. Oh, yeah. Well, because the one thing about it is, uh, and I purposely did put Volume 1 uh, on the cover because it, I, it was very obvious it's a 300-page book, which seems like a lot, but it was impossible to even approach comprehensive coverage, even if I wanted to do one right. decade. You know, There were just so many amazing clubs and bands and restaurants and hair salons. <laughs> I, love okay. I love the hair salon ads. And folks... I mean, I always hear about how awesome it used to be in Boston, and you start to wonder, is that just nostalgia being kind? Was it really that great? Was it really that rich? Was the culture really, really popping? Was it happening? And what you have here in this book is evidence that, in fact, it was. I think so. I think it makes a strong case. I mean, it's certainly um, different. It, it, for me personally, and I think a lot of people are the same way if they've been here for many years, and there are certainly people who've been here for many decades longer than I have. For instance, the other day I drove by where the Western Front used to be, and that was a truly unique club um, on uh, right off the river there out on the outskirts of Central Square. What street is that? It's not Pearl, is it? It's Western. Western. Yep. Of course. Um, and uh, now it's condos, and it was just such an interesting club, and it was an independent club. Uh, it was a black-owned club. Um, but they also, there were, it was very important for the reggae scene. I think it was actually more important for the world and reggae scene than the R&B scene in a lot of ways. Uh, but they would have rock bands. Uh, my friend Russ Gershon was in a, a group called the Decoders who played there all the time in the early 80s. And so he had a bunch of flyers. So, um, but so, but that's gone. And, and I think a lot of people have that sense memory of something you'll drive by uh, in, outside of Harvard Square and be like, oh, there's, that's where the Orson Welles was and um, uh, the theater there. So I think that's important um, to remember those places, but also, like I was saying before, to celebrate places that are still around the Middle East right. has, is still around and still going strong. And legal seafood, as I mentioned, um, is as strong as you can get, you know, and, but they started out with just one, everywhere starts out with one little place, you know? So, so folks, this is a walk through your life, through the advertisements that you saw. Page number one, Frank Zappas. It has movies, it's hairstyles. Let me just give you the types of things. Cinema marquees, ads for benefits, ads for places like the Hillbilly Ranch, which I went one time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cherish that. I just kind of wandered in there and said, whoa. Uh, hair salons. Ads for, for gigs with bands like Volcano Suns. And places out of town, right? Uh, yeah, it's not just Boston proper. So it Jerry Valley. Oh, yeah. Where's that? <laughs> That's it. I, I don't even know where that was. Okay. That was another nighttime magazine, nightlife magazine dandy. A lot of hair places and restaurants, Grendel's Den. Yep. Which is still there. I was and there. Each of them has a photograph. That, well, many of them have photographs that just tell such a story about the time. Well, you know what it's good for, too? And I purposely, um, even though there's no actual um, systematic order to uh, the book, it's not in chapters, it's not here's all the restaurants in one place, it's not even chronological, but there is an index in the back because you could be like, wait, where was Roscoe's? Like, I, I can't remember. Like, was it here? And it's like, well, go to the ad because the ads 
always, if unless they really mess something up, they have the address because they want you to know where to go. Um, so, so it becomes also, a, besides just a fun thing, it becomes a nice little reference to um, this lost city that is, that is no more for at least part of it. One thing that I wish bands did for posterity, they never put the, the year on their posters. Yeah, that's so that, horrible, so sad. It can be tricky. It can I, be uh, tricky. You see these things, you want to know, when was that? Well, because and the interesting thing, it, it came up a couple, usually you can kind of figure it out that I think there's a six or seven year swing where it's like if it was Wednesday, September 23rd, that could only be 1983 or 1976 right. or 1991. But it requires a lot of research. It does, but you know, that's what calendars are made for, I guess. So, uh, what do you think is the best year? I know. Tough question, right? But so what? Go for it. The best year. Well, so the best I, year for let's say music okay. and culture. Well, for let you. me for for me just for the advertisements. I would say probably. I'm going to guess you're going to say '83. Nope. Not even close. <laughs> I think the Boston After Dark. Boston After Dark in like 1969. Whoa! Because this is also a time when. The ads were works of art. I mean, they were, they really tried, like, uh, outlets, um, businesses like Tellos had these incredibly artsy advertisements, hand drawn, um, or the photography was incredible. Um, and it was, it was very unique. It was done specifically. And, and almost all of them are, I think you would be, uh, kind of, um, laughed at if you made a very pedestrian ad in that era. It was very important because the counterculture was was a real thing and people were, um, and I've said this before and I've had this discussion with people like David Bieber, um, is, is that people would really take time. You know, that was like, I'm going to take an hour and read Boston After Dark. I'm going to take an hour and read the real paper. Um, and And it was not just... The articles. It was also the ads because they complemented. They were very artistic. Um, there are ads. Um, I've included. I included one or two in the book that are um, actually difficult to decipher. Like you have to really look at it close to be like, what is that even saying? You know, it's almost. Uh, I'm a, a hip hop fan and, and graffiti fan, and it's almost what you might call wild style um, graffiti, which is where you're trying to mask it. So it's almost like this coded language. Um, and that was that happened all the time back then. So for me, that's my personal sweet spot. And also because the bands, you can see the Who is playing for you know three fifty at the BU Armory there, um, or something like that. And uh, so so that era, even though I wasn't even born at that point, but so for me, I love not just this kind of uh, nostalgia for something that I wasn't part of, but uh, just because I think that really at that point, um, people who are making the ads were really trying hard and they really wanted to get people's attention. Um, so, If you grew up around here, you're going to love this. I'm just browsing through the pages. Picture of Paul's Mall, like a, a, an advertisement. Paul's Mall, Jazz Workshop, Cinema 733, <laughs> obviously 733 Boylston Street. Yep. Lucifer, words, places that you, oh yeah, Lucifer. Her which, breed, which is now Bertucci's. Man Ray, <laughs> the art of nightlife. Central Square. 
I feel so fortunate that I got to Boston in time to be here for some of the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I got here kind of late, 79, but I, I have this, you know, this reality that includes Mitch. <laughs> Why don't you describe Mitch? Mitch is the guy who ran the door at the Rat, and he had, he had a, he couldn't talk for some reason. He had a, <laughs> had a voice box. Hello, ladies. Hello. And he had this big, this hair and this mustache, super curly hair, but cut tight with a mustache. Very impressive looking dude. Dressed up. He, a lot of, he'd wear a jacket and a tie. And he was. Did a, you know he was a musician? He was a saxophonist? Did not, I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. I have an article in The Noise, I believe it must have been The Noise, where they it's a specifically a feature about Mitch and his musical artistry. Right. Quite, wow. quite good, yeah. Fritz the Cat advertisement, which is an X-rated uh, cartoon, which I, I saw, I actually drove down, I saw it in Boston, even when I was listening, uh, living in New Hampshire, came down to see it. And uh, Fritz the Cat. Where was that at, Nickelodeon? Where was the ad from, I forget. Uh, oh, was there? Well, where'd you, where'd you they, sit? I, it feels like I saw it on Boylston Street, but I can't be sure. Yeah, it feels that way. <laughs> Le, I want, here's another thing: a lot of hairstyle, as I mentioned, hairstyle salon places, and they have pictures of the styles. Oh and yes, it's, it's so dated, yes. so crazy dated. These styles. <laughs> I actually could, I could, I promise you, I could do an entire book just of hair salon ads. There are there's some excellent ones that I've already have lined up for volume two and they are, they're very high concept to the point where, I mean, hair salon ads, some of them are akin to perfume ads where you're just like, what does that even mean? And why would I buy that perfume ads? Yeah. Just kind of cologne. Like you watch an ad on TV and you just say, what was that? Like, why, why would I buy that? What is that? Didn't tell me. You remember high karate? No. No, I don't think so. This is, that would be, that would be the cologne commercial equivalent of your. If you did a book on that, you'd yeah. have, or a video on that, you'd have to be in. High Karate was a cologne so powerful and so enticing <laughs> that you would need to learn karate <laughs> to keep the women away. And they actually did. They did that <laughs> on the ads. And I used to have it. Wow. And it smelled. Was that was that truth awful. in advertising? It, no, it? it really smelled pretty badly. <laughs> And then later on, like 20 years later, I found a bottle of it. It smelled even worse because it was 20 years old. But there's actually a company that has bought the rights to make it. And I understand they still, they make it again. And it was a any, high H-I-G-H karate? No, or H-I? I think H-I. High dash karate. And if anybody has a bottle of high karate you're not using, you know where to send it. So what are you going to do with volume two? Uh, I mean, volume two is going to be pr- same eras, 60s, 70s, 80s. And I mean, I already have the. It's going to be easy because it's practically all compiled. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, let's put it this way. Since that book, since volume one uh, came out, which was about a year ago, um, I have scanned approximately 3,500 more pages. Do you have a real good scanner? I mean, yeah seems to do the trick i'm i keep waiting for it to start smoking and and blow up because i've used it so much you but. deserve a good scanner i do you, like is it fast or is it that's pain- good it's fine okay i don't know i mean it's it's works my designer has not said this is not working for me so um, now you took this book and you did a thing in november and the somerville theater that was at the brattle brattle theater yep. 
Talk about that. I went to it. It was a pretty. I dug it. I dug it. It was a pretty epic event, I have to say, and it was very chaotic to put together, um, and exhausting and incredible once it was done. Um, you it, had personalities from these from so that so came from it, the pages of the book. Yeah, it was a four and a half hour affair. Um, it was crazy, and so I had a slideshow from the book. I had a panel with um, David Bieber, uh, Blowfish from Boston Groupie News, um, Prince Charles Alexander, incredible R&B. Tell, tell the folks who he is. Uh, Prince Charles Alexander was born and raised. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's in Boston, um, is currently a professor at Berklee College of Music, um, is, has multiple Grammy Awards. He worked at Bad Boy, which was Puff Daddy's. P. Diddy's label in the 90s. He's had an incredible career, but he put out some incredible funk records in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and a, a, so, and he's still around. There's an ad of him in the book wearing very little clothing. Yeah, that was his thing. He, yes. That was one of his things. He, it, well, let's put it this way. At, so at one point I was like, oh, I don't know if he's going to kill me because I put this in here of him wearing his underwear. And he, at the event, once it was up on the screen, actually, I think this happened at the Boston Public Library. We did another event um, earlier this year, but he took a, a selfie of himself standing in front of himself oh. back from 1983 in his underwear. So I'm like, I guess he likes it. Um, and Jen, I was like, hey, if I look like that, uh, you know, why not? And so uh, so so it was a, a, a talk, a panel for like about an hour. Um, I also showed multiple video clips as well. And that's where this, as we'll talk about in a little while, the video loft kind of idea came from. I played uh, human sexual response, uh, incredible punk, post-punk, however you want to call it, band from the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Mission of Burma. Um, and, and so, uh, and I played some Prince Charles and the City Beat Band stuff in that as well. Um, so it was kind of everything. I decided... Usually the way I, I do my events is if the world blows up tomorrow, at least I did everything I wanted to do. under your belt. <laughs> so I, you showed the video clips and they really resonated and you thought, hmm, there's, an, there's a branch to my little personal tree that I can climb out on. Well, I, I think so. So I love movies. Um, I love especially seeing music films on the big screen. Uh, I, think, I think as... Um, everyone's lives become more and more focused on this little six inch by three inch phone in their pocket. Uh, everyone, it, it amazes me that anyone would want to look at a video on YouTube on their phone. Like I just don't, or watch an entire hour of a show. I don't get that either. I can't imagine even doing that. So I'm also trying to remind people like, you know what, there's a beauty to seeing something on a huge screen and uh, it's a lot better than watching on your, your phone, even as good as your phone may be, even on your television. So that kind of got the, the wheels spinning a little bit. And, and basically, so what I do is as I'm going through this journey of 
uh, digging for paper goods, you know, newspapers, magazines, posters, etc. I've now just started asking, hey, do you have any VHS stuff laying around? Matter of fact, I do. And you would be shocked at how many. I mean, so like a good example, uh, someone who I admire greatly and has become a friend, um, Willie Loco Alexander, who is a legendary um, rock musician, literally going back to the mid 60s with the lost um he has he he has so much his house is incredible there's so much stuff there um uh of his own stuff of his friends he has these scrapbooks where that he started doing in the early 70s and he still has them um but so just the other day he had given me this stack of vhs stuff and i was looking again in his kind of you know man cave which is in his attic and I was like, wait, Willie, what is this? And it, they, he had like two or three DVDs. And I was like, I'd never even know, knew they existed. Oh, and Let's return. Let's continue, I should say, with Brian Coleman, who is, over the past years, immersed himself in multi-format Boston culture with this book, Buy Me Boston, and the materials to make more books and more videos. Before we continue to the video world, couple of the sources you brought in an original 19 what 71 boston phoenix boston's weekly newspaper i'm a big smeller i smell everything yeah it smells it does (laughs) (laughs) that wonderful that antique store smell toasty mold like toasted mold yeah (laughs) the broad side you shouldn't really inhale it as much as you just did probably the broad side now i know a broad side is like a we post a bill, mm-hmm. and, and this is a magazine, February 1966. <clears throat> what is the Broadside? I mean, Broadside was more of a folk uh, magazine out of Cambridge. Um, it was very, imp- but it was national as well. But as you know, I'm sure the folk scene, was Cambridge was the epicenter, series, yeah. you know, so so it made sense um, that it was out of here. Um, it was not a beautifully laid out magazine, but it was solid it had and for me for my purposes it had great ads um dave wilson i believe was the editor and publisher um so yeah it's it be i think it really started out in the early early days there was a lot of uh even kind of song it was made for musicians if uh they would print lyrics and they would print even uh, almost sheet music i wish um, i could live till about 150 so i could yeah you probably wish that too so you can immerse yourself in actually everything. read everything yeah enjoy every everything everything yeah at, at leisure there's news in here donovan in boston debut donovan will make his boston concert debut at jordan hall when a manual a green hill presents him friday night hmm? there's an ad here for the boston folk festival in february featuring the chamber brothers chambers brothers Roscoe Holcomb, Sun House, Phil Oaks. Yeah, I think it's a perfect, exa- you know, of of what the folk scene was back then, and and it wasn't just people strumming on on uh, guitars wistfully, and you know, there were um, Sun House and and Chambers Brothers were definitely not a folk band, um, and there so there was that kind of cross pollination between uh, bringing in all these different styles. I mean. It, when is this? That was a February 66. Is that when that one's from? I can see yep. on the cover there. Um, 
you have to keep in mind, like music was still wide open back then. Music was, there were, there were some rules, but they certainly weren't set in stone and people could really do whatever they wanted. And they were. Here's a, an ad for a place in Ipswich, King's Rook Folk Music Coffee House. And an interesting advertisement. Now available at your friendly local superior store, The Dance of Death, and other plantation favorites, John Fahey and Blinded Bill Barth, Boy Beatnik. Hmm. All right, well, I don't want to spend And there's an ad for Walkers, Western Wear on the back, which Walkers is still around. Well, I should take a picture of that. The rugged look, big this year, men's and ladies, bush jackets, brush jackets. Yeah, Walkers still exists on Newbury Street. Well, Walkers is actually a perfect example of uh, an establishment that has been around for so, so long and has really adapted. As you may or may not recall, in the 80s, they uh, became like a rock kind of... Uh, and that's what they are now. Western wear and ro- rock and roll and Western clothing. But they would very specifically, in Boston Rock, which is another one in the stack there, they would do full-page ads with um, the Del Fuegos, you know, and like say... This is what rockers wear and come uh-huh. in and buy your cowboy boots and your leather and stuff like that. Obviously, in 66, they were selling to the folk scene, um, but but they've adapted. And I think that's one of the ways they've survived for sure. So this is now let's move on to Nightlife magazine. <laughs> Nightlife is a magazine you really have to see to fully appreciate um, the production values were low. Um, they were very, some of the ads are, are kind of painful to look at, but, um, that is actually one of my favorite types of ads are these ones where, uh, it's kind of sums up my own, uh, career, I suppose, where you, you mean very well and you just kind of fumble your way through it and, uh, you just get it done and just put the ad up there. It doesn't have to look good. Um, I, one of my favorites, which I, it will be in the next issue, Uh, The next volume is an ad for, uh, I believe it was Katie's, which was a club uh, in Kenmore Square, which is part, you know, Lucifer, Katie's. Katie's. You have to say the K's. Yes. Um, Do the K's appear in print too? Yes. Yes. Katie's. That was the first place I went. Oh, really? To see the band Live Lobster. Oh, yes. I've seen them. But so there's an ad and uh, for a band that I'm, must I can only assume was called in over the phone and they spelled it A R R O W S M I T H. Oh, really? And uh, I would love to ask sometime and see how that went over with the when the band saw that in print and were like, Are you serious? Um, so then that was from maybe 73, 72, 73. This um, nightlife seems to focus on. Rhode Island, at least in this There's, issue. Yeah, there are different uh, issues of it. Uh, some of them are kind of focusing more on Worcester and Western, and some of them are um, in Rhode Island, and some of them are more Boston, like outskirts of Boston. But yeah, that one I think is definitely very References funny. to the Mill Hill Club. <laughs> PF okay. and the Flyers. Moving on. We're chewing up a lot of time here, but actually I have endless time. I don't know about you. Panorama Magazine. What the heck is that? So Panorama was, uh, for me yet again, is uh, a great magazine for ads because it was basically a tourist magazine. Um, So if you were staying at the Sheraton or something like that, I'm sure it had been in the lobby. Uh, And so it has um, 
a wide range. It has restaurants, it has clubs, it has uh, museums and all kinds of stuff in it. So, um, it, and it actually goes back to the fifties. I think the, I'm not sure when it stopped publication. That issue was probably from the late seventies, early eighties, but um, there's some interesting stuff. I mean, things like that are great examples of, of really looking like, okay, so if I got plopped into Boston in 1978, like what were my options? Where, where could I go? Um, you weren't going to find the real underground stuff in something like Panorama, but generally you would find, okay, so here are all the locations where legal seafood was at that point, And here's an ad for the museum of science and what they were doing and the children's museum and that kind of thing. Back cover is an ad for Leachmere. There you go. And this was when hi-fi equipment was a thing. Yep. By the way, you ever notice no one gives a care about hi-fi anymore. True. No one cares about sound quality. True. Well, Sonos does all right. Okay. But I would agree with that generally. It's not a sure. thing. And and I'm Because everyone when, listens to music on their headphones when, and their little, their iPhone. Well, when bands, I'm sure it has to be the case. It is with me that when I'm mixing down a song, it used to be you'd have the big monitors and you have some monitors, mid-range monitors on the bridge there. Yeah. But now... You have to listen to $29 <laughs> iPhone headphones, and you probably need to mix to check the mix to make sure they sound good. Because that's headphones. where most people listen, sure. Now, Boston Rock. This is from when? 1980? Uh, prob- no, 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 not no, 1980. No. Run DMC is on the cover, so that has to be 84, 85. Okay. Boston Rock, actually, yeah, they, they never put, uh, or uh, they did at the very beginning, but at a certain point, they didn't put the date on the cover. It would just say the number, but if you look on the inside there on the table of contents, um, Boston Rock is probably, if I had to pick one, that's my favorite um, because that's a, a little bit my era there. Um, the thing about Boston Rock that was impressive is it was most magazines, not just in Boston, but most magazines, fanzines, et cetera, took a while to really hit their stride. Like the first year is looks pretty sloppy and they're still trying to figure it out. Boston Rock looked incredible from the very first issue and, uh, and, and really covered the scene. You know, they covered a range of stuff. Uh, it covered it well. It was well-written, um, well-photographed. B.C. Kagan, an early Boston photographer from the late 70s, early 80s, did a lot. Phil and Flash, um, had a, had a lot of great work in Boston Rock. Um, John Nordell, uh, great photographer. So, yeah, so Boston Rock was one of my favorites. I certainly use that a lot for sourcing stuff. Boston Rock, one, one issue as a cover. Peter Wolf, running on plenty. <laughs> a young-looking Peter Wolf. And also they talk about the Wipers, yep. spectacular band yep. from Seattle or Washington, one of the two. Yep. The Liars. And XTC. This is right in, you know, my wheelhouse. Yep. They also do a thing on, there's an ad for Echo and the Bunnymen <laughs> at the Orpheum. Little Steven. It's fun to see which artists existed and were at this level to be in this magazine at the yep. same time. Yep. Chronologically. Well, and you, and you know, if you look at se- several years, you can see how they are rising or maybe they broke up and the... Lead singers in another band kind of thing. I mean, you know, the Liars are a great example. DMZ to, to the yeah. Liars. So bands that were on top at the same time. Run DMC and Rat. R-A-T-T. <laughs> Rat did Round and Round. 
Yes, Run DMC was at one and and three in the Rock Indie ninety nine National Survey of Record Sales. Hmm. Other interesting Husker Du same time New Order, Gun Club. So this must be more like eighty five then. Mm, I don't know. I wish I knew. I w- I wouldn't. I don't know. I you yeah. know more about it than I do. The residents. Yep. Husker Du again. But that was kind of the beauty, though, of, of the underground back then was you could have as bands that were all kind of quote unquote alternative as different as Husker Du and the residents. That's that's a pretty wide swing there. I, I, I really am a stickler for the uh, the date. I can find it if you want. I know where it would be. OK, it is 84. I'm thinking 85, but you're, I, the, you're a genius. I bet you're right. I'm not a genius. I just look at a lot of these. Oh, yeah. We have to, <laughs> i tell you what. Wait. I've got it. It is July 1984. <sighs> good call. Good call. Okay. Let's break, and we'll we'll go the next step here. There is a next step. This, Let's talk this videos. This is all part of a big plan. WBZ. <laughs> Jay talking. Bradley Jay. Hey, Bradley Jay. WBZ News Radio 1030. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you want to talk? About what? I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Talk, 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 talk. Okay, talk. I agree with you. Talk, talk. J with Bradley J. WBZ. News Radio 1030. We are, have been, and continue to be talking with Brian Coleman as we look at a, a Boston, uh, a cultural history through the advertisements for it. And through this compilation process, Brian got sidetracked into videos, and that's the new direction. And you have had already one sort of exhibition of videos, and you're going to do another one. You, you still call it Buy Me Boston, yep. but it's an entirely different format. Can you talk about the format, the one that was, and the one that is still to be? The one that's coming up, which is kind of why you're here. It's supposed to be Thursday. Yep. Uh, August 22. Yep. Oh, it is August 22. It's okay. it's happening. Okay, it is. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, so the first one, what was... The first one was in April, and that was at the Coolidge Corner Theater. Um, I guess my... So what I've started to do is think about ways that um, I can kind of branch out with this, uh, the concept of, of kind of bringing people back to uh, this era and, and not just in one way, not just with one approach, not just with one kind of genre of music, for example, um, but to really present a, a, a broad range of everything. So um, the first one uh, that we did, and, and it really started at the Brattle last November, which was the book launch, but that was such, that was a hodgepodge of all this different stuff. So but when I, you saw the videos, though, that's I, when it struck you, whoa, yeah. I want to I kind of go in that direction. 
And these are videos that you found in the process of finding the yeah, advertisements, it, and and you, they became a separate vehicle. Well, and and I started to realize too that it could be done in kind of a similar, at least, approach in that it's not just one thing. So it's not just live performance videos. Um, there are kind of the MTV V sixty six style videos that are made for songs. And it's all local. That's a thing. And I have a bunch of those, you know, ranging from Prince Charles you have to V66 the Pixies videos. I do have a couple. Um, Eric Green is a friend of mine, the guy who did the V66 documentary. Um, and so we'll be doing more of that as well. But I have some good V66 stuff. V66, by the way, folks, was the local version of MTV. Didn't it even predate MTV? No. It Did was not. 85, 86, I believe. Okay. And then it became the Home Shopping Network. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there was an excellent documentary out called Life, Life on the V. Um, if you're looking, I'm sure it's on certain platforms. So, so there, I have tons of commercials. Uh, I have like tweeter commercials, and uh, I have actually video a, commercials. Yeah, I have a pretty amazing uh, commercial. I guess it's a commercial. It's like f- almost four minutes long. It's basically a uh, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson uh, commercial, even though it's not clear what it's advertising, and it's set to. Uh, everybody's working for the weekend and no <laughs> and one knows what it's about. Well, I do. I I've done some research and it was a converse commercial actually done in, I think 86 or 87, but it's incredibly high production volu- uh, value. Um, and I have that, I was almost going to play it at this, this one, uh, the next one, but I'll probably save that, but it's very, it's a, it's a small, it's a mini movie, you know, Magic Johnson's in it. Larry Bird is chopping wood, like in the woods somewhere with the flannel shirt on. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I have a lot of local access stuff too. So, uh, well, or, and talk shows. So like at the last one, there was a, a show called, I believe it's called weekday and they did a piece in 1982 or 83 that was like, what is this punk rock stuff and why is my kid sniffing glue and what's going on here? Yeah, and I saw that you have a, a sort of preview of it, three-minute yeah. version. And yes. And is, is something... Well, that was like a recap. Like okay. afterwards, I put that together. Okay. Um, uh, and it was incredible. And actually, it turns out that the guy who gave me the footage or who shared the footage with me, um, Drew Stone, uh, was in it. And as I was watching it, I was like, wait a minute, isn't that Drew? And, and he happened to be in town when I showed it. So he showed up and did the intro. So I like to do that too, is bring, if there's someone who's part of this stuff in, in making it, then bring them on and let's, let's find out what that was like. Um, so I, so there are local talk shows, yep, which are fun and they're discussing the, the urgent business of the day and talking about punk this punk people trying on there trying to explain why the man is so afraid of them, but it, but it was a real it was great though because and I played like twenty minutes of it because these kids are very into, I mean I I'm a punk rock kid myself and these kids are explaining themselves very intelligently they're not just trying to tear the studio up like they are very thoughtful and and kind of it it does a good job and I even think the host I forget who the host was but he did a good job of not making it into this, you know, Geraldo kind of sensationalistic kind of thing, but just what explain to us, why is your hair pink? Like, tell us, right. you know? Um, and they had really good answers, but like some legendary, like Dave Smalley um, is in there for legendary. Uh, legendary singer. hardcore dude. Yeah. Um, what was his band? 
Uh, he was in DYS and then also later on in Dag Nasty, which was a, a, one of my favorite groups. Okay. Um, anyway, so so it's kind of like the book. It, it is a little bit of everything, and it's made to kind of uh, give a bird's eye view, but not a comprehensive bird's eye view because that would be a little too heavy-handed and a little too long, to be honest with you. So this next one I have coming up is part of the, the Brattle has a, a series called the Real Music Series um, that's going on in July and August. They had like an Elliott Smith documentary. Um, they're showing, um, uh, I believe, a, a movie called Babylon with The Heart of They Come, like the next week after mine, reggae uh, movies. Um, so, so I decided to do all live performance footage and a pretty wide range of stuff. We'll get into the details of that cool. after the break. All I right. have a question about getting into these theaters. Is it hard? Is it difficult? What do you have to? What do they need from you to let you in a theater? They need to make money, right? And they need to feel like you're going to fill the seats. Is that it? Do you? What are your challenges when you get a, a book in a theater? Do they require money up front? A, a, a what do you call it? A guaranteed amount of money. Um, well, each talk each, about that. Each place is different, you know. But I think the places that I deal with are I have relationships already with um, the people who book on the, book them, and they know that I'm a very good promoter and that, that I'm. You're going to do your yeah. Diligence. That I that it's in my interest, but also in their interest to get as many people in there right, as well, possible. Here you are, as a matter of fact, and have them have a great time. And so, um, you know, so so it all works. Um, and and keep in mind, I'm not getting like prime time slots. Like I'm getting not Friday night at, at seven o'clock, seven thirty, or something right. like that. Um, so I'm getting good slots, but not, uh, I have to bring people in or otherwise they're not going to probably invite me back. And so the last one I think did really well. So the one, the first one for the book at the Somerville theater, that was really, wasn't that packed. It was pretty packed. Yeah. And then how was the, the uh, first video one? The one it was, there were probably like 75, 80 people there, um, in the upstairs there at the Coolidge corner. Which wasn't packed, but it was on like a weekday afternoon, a uh, weekday evening. Um, so this is a building process for me, and, and I'm trying to prove that when people show up to these events, they're going to see something right. they've never seen before. You're building the, your brand. The big hit, I'll be very quick, the big hit last time, and I'm gonna, that's going to open the show this time, is... Um, Major Mud oh. was, did you, do you remember? I'm a huge Major Mud fan. All right. Did you get it? You got it up in New Hampshire? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, he gave well, away a big shot chocolate drink. All right. Why don't you tell everyone? No, no, no. You, you go well, ahead. I'll be quick. So Major Mud was basically a lot of children who were, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years old in the late 60s, early 70s. That was their babysitter after school. Yeah, he was the, ast he was the astronaut version of Bozo the Clown. He was. And so uh, I obtained some Major Mud footage, and there's one— uh, and, and so, and it was ki a kid's show and he had the insane idea of bringing, I don't know, 30 children into a room and trying to control them. And it was never going to work. And it was always chaos. And so he's trying to interview these kids. There's one clip I showed. Awesome. There's one, I mean, these kids are just wandering about. They're interrupting him as he's trying to talk. He's live on air and it's, it's total chaos. And I'm like, this guy must have gone home at night and just fell into his bed and just been like, why am I doing this? Um, but so there's a, a footage of these two sisters. With, we have 15 seconds. With very heavy mass accents uh, singing um, Somewhere Over the yep. Rainbow. And, and they're so like, they're like six. But but 
everyone loved it. There was almost a standing ovation. So I'm like, all right, this this may become my theme. This might become my my mascot. Major here. Mud, man. <laughs> I just love talking to Major Mud. Now we're talking about Buy Me Boston, which, how do you describe it in one word? To me, it's a one word? visual. Chaos. Chaos. Visual history of Boston culture through the advertisements for it. Yeah, I think it, to me, it's kind of a stream of consciousness type of thing. And, and I think that's what makes it fun because you never know what's going to happen on the next page. Like, so if I had made it, these are all the movie theater ads and these are all the restaurant ads, I think it would have been more predictable. And I like that it kind of just flows very randomly. Um, and it also gets me off the hook of having to think too hard about right. it. Right. Random is good. It's exciting. <laughs> what? Well, I hope so. Now that has, you know, branched out in, into the videos that you accessed while finding the materials for this, you came across a whole bunch of videos. Yep. So now the sh you're going to actually have a show. You've done one and now you're going to, you're getting into another one. And that's the reason you're here. It's at the Brattle Theater, Thursday, August 22, 7.30 to 9.30. There's three segments. I don't know how specific you want to be on this. Segment one, Miscellaneous Boston. Yep. There's Rock Against Racism. And then segment three concerns a, a man named Billy Ruane and the Billy Ruane Video Archives. And we're gonna when we get to the Billy Ruane part, we'll be pretty detailed because... Billy Ruane is he deserves a you know he deserves some time a statue yeah oh, is that going to happen I hope so okay our first step was there's Billy Ruane Square we have to talk we have to tell Square. him who he is before and let's sure. not do that sure anytime you that want yet. just start start okay. the Billy Ruane train and we'll okay. go with it first segment one miscellaneous Boston and this is a show you can see you're going to go to a theater and see some of these videos. And most of these are not on YouTube. Most of these are, and, and that's on purpose. I mean, but some of them are too, which is okay. Because my concept, my approach is stop looking at videos, on YouTube videos on your phone. Put your stupid phone down and come to the brattle. And let's listen to them very loud in a room with a lot of other weird people. And we'll all enjoy it. It'll be a communal experience. And local. That's really and important. It's your local history. And, and the beauty of it to me is that a lot of the people who are in these videos will be in the crowd too. Like there are cool. people I know, friends of mine, um, or just people I've invited. Um, and so that's important to me too, to have, if there's someone there in the crowd um, who's there, like, why am I talking about this? You tell us about this video, you know, kind of thing. So um, It yeah. includes Ron Dillis uh, at 1985... Commercial for Around Town with Around Ron. Town. Ron Delacchiesa. Tell us about Ron. I don't even, well, Ron is, is a legend, um, known more for classical music. Um, but in the 80s, in the mid 80s, there was a show called Around Town. And I'm not sure how widely, I don't really remember the show, um, but it was on cable and it was very clearly geared towards a cable audience, not um, kind of a more um, terrestrial uh kind of TV audience and it would, you know, it, there were movie reviews and there were restaurant reviews. And to be really honest, it was very, uh, you know, whoever advertised on there certainly got, got a lot of uh, attention. Let's just say that. So um, there's just a, a interesting little commercial. I found a reel at David Bieber's um, that was basically like a demo that, that was being sent to, I think, potential advertisers that 
um, have all, has all these around town advertisements. So I started off with that. But you mentioned uh, the Major Mud and these two look like you twins. Don't say that. Don't say what I have written on that. Right, twin <laughs> sisters. Uh, they look. Like no, I don't twins. think they were twins. I think they were like a year or two okay. apart. But yeah, and this is 1971. I didn't know that he went. That show went that long. That show went till I think 74 or 75. Wow. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Well, that's what we were talking about off air. There were a couple different phases that's of the show. Major Mud, uh, and they sing somewhere over the rainbow. Yes. And um, the Turnpikes. They became Tavares. Which is something. Well, they were originally known as Chubby and the Turnpikes um, back in the 60s. Um, but that's a great video that I've. Uh, Nothing but promises. This will be. These will all. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Be included in this show. Yep. Think Tree. Now that's a band I played on. You remember Think Tree? Oh yeah. Hira yeah. Bird was massive on WZBC. Sure. And I love that's that the song. college radio station at Boston College. That was core for years and years and years. High rotation. I was a DJ there. Oh, you I were? Used, I told you I used to play your cart. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right ZBC rocks <laughs> you know what's that, what's I, that I street over that, there do- Hammond Street <laughs> I was doing shows there till six years ago <laughs> I, I could almost recite it for it's been a while but I a little I, promo that I, I I love that you, we had a lot of fun going over there and messing around <laughs> in the production studio and the ether orchestra or the either orchestra? either well either I guess it could or. be either I, know, I get it yes either or I believe a Kierkegaard reference um, Born so, in a suitcase, but the either orchestra are special to me because actually that was uh, I worked with them for many years. That was one of the first jobs I had out of college, um, getting into PR. I worked for a company called Braithwaite and Cats, and I promoted the either orchestra. So uh, that and Russ Gershon, um, who ran Accurate Records, uh, which had in a lot of incredible jazz groups, including the either orchestra, but also put out the first Morphine record. Um, put out uh, Willie Loco Alexander's Persistence of Memory Orchestra. Anyway, so Russ is, I'm still in touch with Russ all the time. He's a great guy, still making incredible music. And he'll hopefully be there, you know, and, and uh, but that's from 1989. So that's, that's 30 years ago. And this event, you can see all this stuff Thursday, August 22 at 7.30 at the Brattle. Ramones, you're going to show their song Chainsaw. And that the, was performed at live at the club. In Where 76, was the club? The club uh, beca- was, became night stage. Oh. So it was on the outskirts of Central Square on yep. Main Street, 823 Main Street, I wow. believe. Uh, and before the club, it was, I believe, called the Two of Clubs. Either the Two of Clubs or the Ace of Clubs. And then it became the club. And now the club is a very important venue that's been forgotten. It was really almost for a while neck and neck in a lot of ways with the rat like so it was playing all the same bands that the rat were playing at the club when they weren't playing at the rat man you're becoming a serious serious historian of, i'm trying of early early boston culture and you know we have anthony samarco who is a yeah he great. does a lot of lectures yeah and uh, i have his book i feel What's like it's called lost in boston well it's got 80 books this, what he has 80 books yeah wow yeah, no, that guy's a legend. So you 
could do the same thing with what you do. Trying. I mean, I, I better be fun for you. To, I don't know. Just a lot more shows, a lot more lectures. Make some money. I'm, Willie Loco Alexander does Dirty Eddie at the Middle East upstairs. I don't know that song. Uh, Dirty Eddie is a song about a dear friend of, of Willie's who's still around. Um, he was a musician. I forget what bands he was in, but uh, it's you know the lyric goes, Dirty Eddie is my best friend. Jay Giles Sanctuary. Well, uh, that was Saturday Night Live. And that, yeah. Oh, my God. Is that one the, with the cra those crazy red stripy pants? Oh, my God. Uh, no, like I don't think they were. Parachute pants, balloon they pants? Were they were kind of, no, they were kind of, they were like the little Justin Bieber pants oh, that okay. he wears, but I don't believe those were striped. I know okay. which the ones you're talking about. They were, Not in this performance. Like, those but pants, an, all I can see is the pants. <laughs> it's an excellent, it's an amazing performance by an otherworldly band and at their peak with rodney dangerfield rodney dangerfield introduces them so that's a plus sanctuary it's a great great version of that okay next uh you have rock against racism so yeah so rock against racism was an incredibly important organization um that was is 40 years old this year um it was started by Rebe garofalo um who's a, a friend of mine and someone i admire very much uh, professor emeritus at uh, from UMass Boston, and Fran Smith was the other co-founder. She's still around doing a lot of amazing activist work. Um, so, Rock Against Racism. There's a long history of it. It started in the UK. Obviously, the uh, the point of Rock Against Racism should be fairly clear. It was the different ways to combat racism and white supremacy, um, and. The Boston chapter, the short version uh, for the show tonight is the the Boston chapter documented itself incredibly well. They were funded, they had equipment, and they would show up at all their shows, whether it was an outdoor show in Jamaica Plain, uh, or um, they did a whole series of shows at Nine Lansdowne in the Metro. There was like a, a Free South Africa Day, like Little Steven was there, and they had all these incredible musicians. Um, so... The people at UMass Boston, which is where the archive exists now, have been kind enough to give me access to some of this stuff. And the Rock Against Racism stuff, very few of those bands, anyone, no one will know them. Uh, hopefully people remember one people because they were an excellent reggae band. I'm going to play them. But uh, there are these two, the Rapporteurs and the Incredible She's are these pretty much unknown female um, hip-hop groups from 1984 wow. that, uh, from Madison Park High School. And the stuff is just absolutely amazing to watch. So that's not something you're going to sing along to, but you're going to be like, wow, I've never seen that before. So UMass Archives, they give you access to these. Do you make copies? How does that work? Uh, I mean, they give me the files with the understanding that I'm not going to share so they've them. already made the copies. Yes, but but they are going to be actually posting, I mean, dozens of, of these videos on, on their website very soon. Um, so... Uh, and it's it's stunning stuff. I've looked through a lot of it, and, and I'm completely blown away, and I can't wait for people to see it. So this is kind of, in a way, the coming out party for some of this footage that is going to be, hopefully a lot more people are going to be seeing it okay. soon. Let's break, and we'll go to segment three. And that'll... We get to talk about Billy. This guy, there's a, there was a guy named Billy Ruane, and you're going to find out about Billy Ruane. Oh, Tell the folks who Billy Ruane Who was Billy Ruane? I was. mean, Billy was... Um, I mean, I think the way I would describe him as the biggest music fan I certainly have ever met. Um, 
I think there are a lot of people who think they're music fans and they cannot hold a candle to Billy. How did that manifest itself? He was at every show. He was insinuated deeply in the whole scene. He w- yes, and he was a, a, a huge fan. And um, to my knowledge, he was never a musician. I mean, I think he would have actually been a pretty good punk lead singer yeah. personally. Um, he certainly had all the attributes of a Darby Crash or some of the famous, uh, maybe almost the Sid Vicious type of thing, a kinder Sid Vicious. Um uh, Billy, so he came from money, and his and that's, a, that's important too because that was well, for one thing, made all this possible because he could hire people to go videotape. But that was his that was part of the the aura to me. He seemed like a guy that would have been who would r- run with Edie Sedgwick, <laughs> yes, and, and would have hung out at the factory and would have been Very one true. of those yes. rich people who left it all. And and went debauched. Well, let's put it the, in my view. Um, and Billy was a complicated person. Um, he upset a lot of people in his lifetime, and he helped so many more people than he ever upset. I personally think he irritated lots of people. He was a very extreme uh, dancer. He'd crash into you, <laughs> knock you down. He was yeah. very drunk. He was a, a kisser. He would always kiss. I don't know. I kiss assume everybody? you. Well, I assume oh, you yeah, had I many about that. kisses on the lips from Billy. Not that many. Okay, well, I don't know. He was a kisser. He was a kisser. Um, he was just like, he was so full of life, and, and he was very unfiltered, and um, music was the fuel that got him up in the morning and kept him going. Um, and But but he, he did come from money, but that money was almost exclusively spent on um, on musicians, on artists, on people other than himself. I mean, he was not, uh, it's not like he was impeccably dressed. Uh, He rarely had buttons on his shirt or at least had them buttoned. Um, He just wanted to, he loved artists. And I think he was a patron in truly the classical sense of the word patron of, uh, of someone who wanted to support artists. And I think it, that was his way of being an artist was supporting Guggenheim. In many ways he really was. I mean, I'll give one example that everyone who knows Billy will tell you about this story that happened dozens, hundreds of times. Billy would go to a show at the Middle East upstairs or TTs or wherever, and he would see the band even for 10 minutes and he would love it. He would run around, he would scream, he would crash into people. And then he would go to the merch table and he would say, how much for all of it? And he would buy the entire merch table and hand it out to everyone in the crowd. I was not at one of those games. That was Billy's famous, that was his famous thing. Wow. Which is an, an incredible thing, and I've never seen certainly anyone else ever do that. Um, and, and so if someone needed money to finish their demo tape, Billy would help, and uh, he would let people crash at his place. Um, so he was just a, he was a very complicated man, um, but he was just... He it, to me, he always just cared more about other people than he cared about himself. And he did burn hot. He really did. Um, and uh, he passed away young, uh, too young. But he lived exactly the way he wanted to live. I think you know. I mean, he he was not. In many ways, I think a lot of people, especially people who are introverted or shy, which a lot of artists are, um, off stage, uh, he was not shy about anything and if he liked a band to the point where he might even annoy that band when they were on stage he would let them know and he was famous for just yelling and getting up on stage and um 
dancing, dancing like I, a crazy person because that was his thing. I suppose it takes a certain amount of discipline, which he might lack to be a musician, but you're right. He would have been something. I, yeah, I'm kind of shocked. But so, anyway, so, so, so that is the introduction to Billy. Um, and he also, one of the things he did is he loved uh, so many bands and booked many bands. He was a promoter, book shows from jazz to very, very hardcore punk. Um, and he would always try and videotape bands that he liked, which was most bands in town. So over uh, probably a two or three decade span, he had different videographers and he had two or three of them that were his main people. Um, and actually Jody Urbati Moore um, was one of them and hopefully she'll be there on Thursday night. I actually just talked to her today and she can kind of introduce this. Straight as uh, Kadria people, he'd throw them up a little bit of money and say, hey, go go videotape this band. He'd say, Morphine's playing in Middle East upstairs on Tuesday night. Go and videotape it. Okay, and call him up. Like Jody just told me today that she bought uh, he bought her a pager just so he could be like, okay. And, and actually he was in and out of um, different hospitals for, for kind of uh, mental health reasons. And when he would get out, he would the, the pager would start blowing up and he would say, okay, you got to go over and do this show and do that show. And, and the stuff that he, it, it represented his, his range, you know, there would be um, African kind of world stuff, uh, definitely lots of jazz, lots of rock. Um, and so, so I chose a, a, an amazingly small selection, um, which, which I hope we can actually do a whole or several, maybe Billy Wayne video nice. archive film festivals. Yeah, Cause, uh, there are hundreds of videos of yes. local and, performances, and, and you've chosen a few as, sex, as segment three yep. of your. But let me say, if Thursday. you go on YouTube and search "Road to Ruane," R U A N E, that they're all up on YouTube, um, and there's an incredible amount of stuff on there. If you like, not just Boston bands too, there were national bands People that would come, come through. through. Um, so I would suggest going to road, check that out. Road to Ruane. Yeah, which is also the title of a, a documentary that's in process that Michael Gill is working on and that'll be out hopefully at some point soon. And that's R-U-A-N-E. Yes. Billy Ruane Video Archives. And there's some talk about, is the talk about a statue, a genuine thing? That was so, I mean, I would love to see that happen. Um, in the meantime, uh, we basically did dedicated Billy Ruane Square, which is in front of where T.T. the Bears used to be, where Sonia is now. Um, I mean, right, like where Man Ray was at the opposite corner? Yes, yeah. yep, right there. Um, and so go if you knew Billy, go and say hello, and, and he's he's floating around somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I would love to, to get the people together and get the team, and, and I think a statue would be very appropriate. And, of course, the statue has... Uh, shirt would be unbuttoned all the way down. Right. He'd be wearing his trench coat and he'd be in some kind of pose, dancing, some flailing akimbo about. pose. Yeah, Billy was, he was quite a dancer. Okay. Well, what, wonderful that you came here. I appreciate it. Really, it. really uh, have steeped us in Boston culture, both uh, in print and in video. This is a great thing, folks. You can get to the Brattle Theater Thursday night, August 22. You'll be able to see with your own beady little eyes <laughs> What we've been talking about, including the Billy Ruane, the, the samples from the Billy Ruane archives. Yep. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank Coleman. you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.